Hello and welcome to the Reorg Europe podcast. My name is Sean Qureshi and I'm a legal analyst in Reorg's London office. Today, I'm very fortunate to be joined by two industry experts, Rebecca Jarvis and Damien Gomez. Both Rebecca and Damien are partners in the restructuring and insolvency department of Linklaters. Welcome both and thank you for joining us today. You may remember that Rebecca and Damien previously joined us earlier this year to talk about Smile Telecom's restructuring plan and the lessons learned following its convening hearing. Now that Smile Telecom has had its restructuring plan sanctioned by Justice Snowden in the English High Court, we will today be taking a look at what we can learn from the hearing and the judgment provided by Justice Snowden at the end of March in giving his reasoning for sanctioning the plan. So Rebecca, welcome. Perhaps you could start by giving us a quick reminder about the Smile Telecom's restructuring plan. Thanks, Sean. So by way of very quick recap, um, the plan company is Mauritian Incorporated and it has English Lord debts and its Comey is in the UK. Uh, the restructuring plan compromised and released all the out of mon- out of the money creditors and shareholders. And actually the plan for the company uh, is that the super senior creditor will provide additional funding and ultimately become the sole shareholder. Uh, The special interest previously and and now, I guess, is that Smile Telecom became the first company to use the procedure contained in section 901C4 of the 2006 Companies Act, which allows out-of-the-money creditors and shareholder classes to be excluded from the voting process Uh, for a restructuring plan. So the bottom line was there was one voting class, that was the super senior creditor, and there was some valuation evidence produced, which demonstrated and supported the zero return for excluded classes in the relevant alternative, which in this case was liquidation. Um, We covered this in a bit more detail in our first podcast, so if you haven't listened to it, please do. And we recorded that before the sanction judgment was handed down. So now we have the opportunity to talk to you about the judgment. Thank you very much. Okay, so Damien, as expected, the sanction judgment does cover the topic of whether and when an English law restructuring plan can vary the rights of shareholders in a company that is incorporated outside the UK. So I guess the question is, can it? Thanks, Sean. The short answer is is yes, but up to a point. Um, so what what Smart Telecoms does do is that it opens up the possibility of using a restructuring plan to carry out, I suppose, what we can call a complete capital restructuring. Um, not only dealing with the foreign company's English law debts, which you know we've seen. Um, time and time again, and it's not controversial, but also stripping the foreign company's shareholders of, of their rights by altering the company's constitution and share capital. In this case, this was done through the use of a power of attorney mechanism um, that was contained within the plan. So rather than, than the plan itself having direct effect 
to amend the Mauritian company's constitution. So what we had here is a, is a plan containing a power of attorney whereby the company was authorized to take certain steps in the shareholders' names in order to affect the terms of the plan. The power of attorney was not signed by any individual plan participant or shareholder. And of course, shareholders were excluded from voting on the plan in the first place. Um, this isn't an unusual mechanic. Um, and we've seen it in schemes of arrangement before. For example, creditors typically provide a power of attorney to the company to execute the necessary restructuring documents on their behalf. But in this case, the mechanic was extended to shareholders of a Mauritian company. And so the question for the court was, in the absence of a parallel Mauritian scheme, would this mechanic be recognized as a matter of Mauritian law? And the court decided ultimately that it was comfortable that it that 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 it would be so recognized, or at least there was no evidence put forward that it wouldn't be. And as part of this analysis, I think I think three things came into play. The first is that the court noted that it was open to the company to apply for recognition of the restructuring plan in Mauritius under the model law, on the basis that the restructuring plan was a foreign main proceeding. Secondly, the court also took comfort in the fact that the shareholders were out of the money. So query what relief they would be entitled to if they did challenge the effectiveness of the power of attorney mechanism. Um, and thirdly, and crucially, um, the court didn't find that the sanction order would have direct effect in Mauritius so as to amend the Mauritian company's constitution, but rather that the power of attorney mechanism along with the various local procedural steps that would have to be effected in order to make that document recognized in Mauritius would, would in practice be effective. And, and that was ultimately a question of Mauritian law. Thanks, Damien. That's very useful. Okay, Rebecca, perhaps you could let us know, what is your high level takeaway from this judgment and some of uh, Justice uh, Snowden's comments? Thanks. Well, one takeaway is there's no absolute need for a parallel scheme or plan if you're trying to affect a foreign company's constitution and share capital, um, which is probably great for the you know broader world, but probably not great for lawyers, but there you go. Um, and obviously um, here in this case, the key question really was whether the alterations made to the foreign companies constitution and share capital would have effect in the relevant overseas jurisdiction, which was Mauritius. Um, and that is typically why you would have a parallel scheme or plan to deal with that. Um, but if the alterations can have effect overseas without the necess necessity of a parallel local scheme or plan, then Frankly, there's no reason why an English court should decline to exercise its jurisdiction in relation to that. But really, what this boils down to be a very broad point, but it could be a very narrow point because it's a question of the local law advice as to whether and if so, how that English plan could be given effect overseas, obviously in Mauritius here as regards the shareholders. But um, you may be wondering why we're making um, a big deal about this, but obviously if you don't need to do a parallel scheme or plan, that can have a tangible cost benefit. And it can also assist just in the smoothness and timing of your process, because you don't have to worry about an entirely new or different process. Mm -hmm. um, 
uh, and it also, I guess, avoids any potential issues regarding differences in laws like what the cram down process looks like. Thank you very much, Rebecca. So, Damien, how useful is this precedent? Is it a precedent indeed for restructuring plans for all foreign companies in every jurisdiction? Uh, prob I probably wouldn't go that far. Um, so I would express caution about the general applicability of this as a precedent. It might well turn out to be jurisdiction specific. Um, so for instance, it's difficult to envisage a similar plan of let's say a French or a German company being effective to deal with shareholders of the French or German entity, whether that's because of public policy concerns or because of sort of difficulties with getting recognition in France or Germany of an uh, English restructuring plan as a collective insolvency proceeding. So I put it this way, what do we think the chances are of a French court accepting that an English law power of attorney um, created under an English procedure could affect the rights of French shareholders who hadn't submitted to the jurisdiction of the English courts, who had not been allowed to vote in that process, um, particularly when you when 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 you know if you if you flip the situation around, I'm fairly certain that mechanism wouldn't be wouldn't be wouldn't be recognised in England. You can start to see how how this becomes a little bit challenging. So the better approach, if dealing with shareholders of a foreign company, might be to allow them to vote, uh, give them the chance to submit to the jurisdiction, um, and rely, if necessary, on on cross class cram down. But ultimately. That will depend on each situation. It will depend on the recognition advice. Um, and this case highlights the potential in at least some jurisdictions, or at least Mauritius, of, of heading down of heading down this particular route. Thanks, Damien. Rebecca, back to you. What other nuggets of information have we learned from this case? So there's there's two things that spring to mind. Um, one ought to be obvious, and that's actually make sure your foreign expert opinions are really clear and really precise because anything that looks a bit vague, a bit unclear or a bit slippery is going to attack, attract the attention of the judge. Um, and do remember the key issue in this case was whether the power of attorney mechanic in the restructuring plan would be effective as a matter of Mauritian law. Um, and Snowden made it very clear he was disappointed with the nature and quality of that initial local law advice, and he required further submissions. So if it's not good enough, you're going to have delays. Um, and again, remember, it's hardly surprising that this focus was there, because what we were looking at was the situation where the shareholders in a Mauritian company could be deprived of their rights using an English law process where they didn't participate in it and they didn't even vote. So, you know, it, it's really important to, to kind of keep that in mind. And then there's a slightly lesser point, um, but also important, I think, and that's more procedural. And that's make sure you follow English procedures. Because um, one thing that Snowden again made very clear is that there are processes here, the civil procedure rules that need to be followed and he particularly called out things um, that he didn't like, which was the fact he had no idea of the qualifications and expertise of the people who wrote the expert opinions. He didn't like that. He also didn't like the fact that um, the duty to the court wasn't acknowledged. Um, 
Now, that was solved, the fact that wasn't quite done appropriately by him allowing the company to submit confirmatory reports from each expert, which did comply. But again, that's a further delay that wouldn't have happened had someone followed the rules in the first place. Thank you very much, Rebecca. Damien, back to you. Now, I believe that Justice Snowden also made some comments regarding dissenting creditors shouting from the sidelines. Could you expand on that for us? Sure, he did. So the judge was critical of creditors who, who, who wish to take the approach of objecting from the sidelines but don't appear to argue their case and in his words they must stop shouting from the spectators seats and step up to the plate um lord justice snowden made clear that you know it, it's not the role of the company um to advance full arguments against itself yes the company has a duty of utmost candor but it doesn't extend to advancing full arguments against itself on of a case based on an expert report that it didn't commission and it doesn't agree with. Um, and if so the upshot if, is if a member or creditor wishes to oppose, oppose a scam and uh, oppose a plan or a scheme based on a contention that they would fare better in the relevant alternative than what the company's valuation evidence suggests, then you know they should file their own expert evidence. They should instruct the, evidence, the, the, the expert to produce a report. They should potentially make the expert available for cross examination. They should attend the hearing. They should address the argument to assist the court at the appropriate stage when the point is to be determined. And what they shouldn't be doing, again, to quote Lord Justice Snowden, is playing a tactical game of keeping their powder dry at the convening stage and only appearing to raise jurisdictional points at the sanction hearing. Um, now, in, in our first podcast, I, I butchered Jerry Maguire and I'm going to do it again. Um, the court effectively says to would-be objectors, if you want help, help me help you. As to who pays for all of this work, we don't have a firm answer. Um, the court did say in Smile that if arguments were reasonable um, and on genuine issues, then the objector is unlikely to have to pay for the company's costs and, depending on the facts, may even be able to recover their costs from the company, even if their opposition is unsuccessful. But that's that's far that's far from certain. Um, and in the interest of not encouraging spurious challenge, that, that's probably for the best. Um, but broadly speaking, I think it's becoming harder for an indiv individual creditor or shareholder to challenge the process. Um, I could, you know, we can all recall cases about five years ago where a dissenting creditor would turn up at sanction, would raise some you know, potentially misguided objections, um, was listened to for half an hour or so, and then their arguments were politely rejected. And I think now the days of the amateur ob objector seem to be coming to an end. You need to spend quite a bit of money up front in order to put together a proper challenge. Many won't, many can't. And this increases the onus on the judge um, to ensure that the interests of those who cannot realistically be represented are properly considered. And in fairness, this is an approach the courts have consistently taken. I mean, we, we, we've seen judges say for years that a sanction hearing is not a rubber stamp. Thanks, Damien. Thanks, Rebecca. Fantastic to have you both on the podcast again. Some very insightful points raised here indeed. Thank you for all those who've joined us listening to The Real Podcast, and we look forward to seeing how the precedence and guidance provided by Smile Telecom is covered, is followed in future restructuring plans, both by plan companies and would-be challengers. If any of our listeners have any questions they'd like to ask Reorg or our excellent panellists, please do reach out to questions at reorg.com and we will get back to you. 
Thank you for listening.